Hey friends, welcome to the Victor Marks Podcast with Victor Marks, founder of All Things Possible Ministries. Welcome to the show where we bring you real conversations faced with life's hard truths, stories of redemption, and the latest from the front lines. Whether you're on the road, getting your day started, or finally settling in, we've got an exciting new episode planned for you. So let's dive in to today's show. Hey, welcome to day two of an interview I'm having with someone that's, well, she's kind of mean and a little bit judgmental. She's a meanie lady. We're talking about Julie Roy's. She has the Roy's Report. Uh, she's an investigative journalist. Her work has appeared in World Magazine, Christianity Today. Uh, she's had a radio show at Moody. And uh, I'll tell you what, she's all educated up as well. Master's degree, broadcast journalism, and a bachelor. Uh, you got that from Wheaton. And uh, happily married, three children and two grandkids. We've been having a interesting conversation one like I've never had on the broadcast, uh, because we're naming names. <laughs> and in reality, you're a gift to the body of Christ. You're a courageous believer. And, you know, I'd say a clean warrior. Not too many get that title for me. My wife is one. It's, it's women who step in the gap to do the right thing, regardless of the consequences. And nothing but respect for you. Uh, Julie, thanks for being on the program today. Day number two. Hmm. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Now, you have called out names from John MacArthur to uh, Ravi Zacharias to even Moody Bible Institute, and you were working there at the time, and you had a radio program, and then you didn't. Right. So you have to count the consequences knowing that what you say and what you do it can affect you. So question number one, have you ever had a lawsuit come against you because of your investigative journalism? I have. Yeah. Um, that was before I published anything about James McDonald. I had spent probably close to six months investigating because people had come to me. I mean, uh, people who had been really hurt and abused by James McDonald came to me and just pleaded with me. Uh, this was on the heels of me blowing the whistle on Moody. They they saw what I had done there and said, hey, will you look into James McDonald? And I remember at the time I was like, you know, I want to do an investigation on another big name Christian about as much as I want a hole in the head. You know, right. I mean, I was just like, do you all that, hear that is brutal. This is, yeah, this is not something you wake him and go, who can we go after? That is not uh, you and that's not your character. Well, and it's it's hard. I mean, it's not it it's. It's not good work calling out people's sin. I mean, it people come back at you, and a lot of nasty things are said about you. But this was one of those where I remember I was like, well, okay, I'll hear your story. And then I heard story after story mm. after story after story. And then I tell people I have kind of an internal justice meter, and when that gets tripped, you know, it's just— It's on. It's on, and, and you can't let it go at that yeah. point. And so that's when I, I knew God was calling me to do this. So I started reaching out to— people on staff at Harvest, because it's always, I always, um, just professional standards, you always give the other side a chance to respond to any accusations against them. And so I'd started doing that. Specifically, I'd reached out to James McDonald about a woman who said that she, that he assaulted her on a private jet mm. um, and that there were witnesses. And so I reached out about that, got a bunch of statements really quickly. And then before I, <laughs> 
I was actually working with a Chicago Tribune reporter about there was a, a youth pastor at Harvest who there were charges coming against him. I knew they were going to be filed soon. Some people told me about it um, for sexual exploitation of a minor. And I was working on that with um, with a reporter with Chicago Tribune, that story. And we were reaching out to Harvest. And in the midst of that, I got a lawsuit filed against me by Harvest. And it wasn't just me. He also included, I should say, as James McDonald and Harvest Bible Chapel. And it was against me and also the authors of this blog called The Elephant's Debt, uh, which was critical of Harvest and the wives of the bloggers, which was, I guess they just threw them in for good measure. Um, So it was the five of us that this lawsuit came against. And I I was just stunned because I hadn't published anything. But what a lot of people don't know is that there was also a temporary restraining order that was tied to this lawsuit. So it really was an effort at prior restraint, which a lot of people don't know what prior restraint is, but it's unconstitutional. It's basically trying to muzzle um, somebody before they speak, and especially a, a member of the media, before they say anything. And you can't do that in the United States. So it was, it was shocking that he did it. And it actually, I never, I never would have been able to expose the things that I did about James McDonald had he not sued me, because what happened was, because he had sued me, I was able to subpoena people. So I knew there were people out there who wanted to talk to me, but wanted an excuse to talk to me, if you know what I'm saying. Um, Like they didn't want to have to answer for why they talked to me or went on the record, but it enabled me to begin subpoenaing them. And I did it. I was able to subpoena them. You have to, you have to tell the, the other side in a lawsuit when you subpoena somebody um, but I was able to get statements from them before James McDonald was able to stop me. And that's when he quickly dropped the lawsuit when he saw how many things I was subpoenaing and all the information. I mean, if you have skeletons in your closet, don't file a lawsuit. That's why it was so shocking that he did it because everybody knew he had skeletons. Um, but yeah, it, uh, it was for me as a reporter, once, once I had somebody, I actually, a friend of mine uh, who's a lawyer, he agreed from the very beginning to represent me and to do it uh, pro bono. He ended up getting paid. In fact, Harvest ended up paying all of our legal fees uh, after they dropped the lawsuit because it was a frivolous lawsuit. It was uncalled for. And so they paid for all that. But once that was covered, I I just knew the Lord had it and he had me. Mm -hmm. And it was actually kind of Christmas come early as a reporter. To have subpoena power was amazing. It really was. I love that. I didn't know the backstory to that, which it makes a lot of sense because most most people get terrified at the thought of standing up for what's right and, you know, people accusing you of slandering or, you know, wh- whatever. I I remember as a young Christian trying to understand uh, Christianity, there was a, it was a junior high boy who had been abused by someone in ministry and mm. the ministry covered it up. And when I say covered it up, they didn't bring in law enforcement. Obviously, that's the lane we run in now. We help law enforcement here in the U.S. to find pedophiles, molesters. We recover kids. And then overseas. And I remember struggling because I was abused as a kid myself. Mm. And I thought, why wouldn't this church? And it was actually the grandson of a very well-named ministry person. I look at it now as an oppressive manipulation of well, we're more spiritual, so we know what to do Mm. versus it just being, well, what's practical and wise. And uh, so 
the, the end of that story is many years later, I mean, gosh, 15, 20 years later, I had intervened in this young man's life who was suicidal in a home and I got called. And it was because of undealt with abuse from his past and this big Christian family that covered it. And I, I'll never forget, they brought me in to help reconcile. And all I said was, you guys, this guy's jacked up large in part because of y'all covering what you knew had happened. So he has PTSD mm-hmm. and y'all are part of the problem. Oh, uh, it, and so often it's not the crime. It's the church cover up of the crime that causes so much damage to people. It, it really is because they can handle, and I think this has been the hardest thing for me too, is like I can handle that there's some bad apples out there, but what's hard is how many people support the bad apples knowing that there's right. been sin, knowing that there's been crimes. That's a sad reality, and it keeps victims in depression, suicidal, mm-hmm. hurting, mm-hmm. Uh, not trusting, and certainly out of the faith. So when people say, ah, I don't want to go to church, I often ask why, because some of them have very good reasons not to, but it's never a good reason to not trust Jesus, to go to him and say, you know, I think it was Gandhi that said, I love Jesus or appreciate Jesus, but his followers are kind of crazy. So uh, we in America have this reputation of, uh, I think with professional ministry, to do things on a level that success isn't necessarily measured by biblical standards. And I, I had a board member of many well-known organizations tell me specifically not to pray for certain people or publicly come out and talk about spiritual warfare. And, Hmm. uh, and he, he told me point blank, if you do, you won't speak here. You won't, this won't happen. And the money we were going to give you to help your ministry and it was seven figures because wow. you'll never see a penny. And he goes, you have three days to decide. And I remember the first day I was so mad, Julie. I was like, how did this guy, you know, mm. second day I told my wife, I'm taking the money. I said, you know, my gosh, what we could do with that much money. She goes, really, really? I said, mm. no. And then the third day I just said, I'd rather help Christians than kowtow to some guy's checkbook or whatever. The sad thing is, still key ministries have him in a position of leadership and authority. And again, I think that goes back to people with a gift or gifts. People admire far too much, but gifts and talents can take a person to a place where their character can't sustain them. And where did we go wrong on forgetting character counts? <laughs> you know, this gift of, you know, seven figures that, that you were offered. I mean, that's just kind of touching on what I've called actually Sky Jathani, who's a speaker and author. He coined this term, the evangelical industrial complex, sort of a, a, a take on the uh, military industrial complex we, we used to talk about, but he's saying in evangelicalism, we have sort of an industrial complex or a celebrity machine. Right. And I saw it when I was at Moody and it's not necessarily evil in the sense that you have uh, publishers, you have radio, you have uh, megachurch ministries, you have uh, parachurch ministries, you have all of these different organizations and ministries, some for-profit, some not-for-profit, but they all scratch each other's backs to a certain degree. I mean, the publisher wants to get his 
you know, author at this conference. And you yep. know, if, if you're publishing a book, you've got to get all these people to endorse your book and then they'll invite you to this event and then you can speak here. And I mean, it, and then they'll give you a position, you know, at this university or seminary or whatever. And it's, it's actually a very small group of interconnected people that runs what we think of of evangelicalism. When we look at sort of the well-known celebrities, if you will, they're all connected and there is sort of this symbiotic relationship. And it, it could be, you know, theoretically, it could be a healthy thing if, right, right. if you leverage those relationships to hold each other accountable. So when you have someone who is sinning, um, take, for example, you bring up covering up s- sex abuse in the church. Right. Uh, I've written extensively about Brian Loritz, who, when he was at Fellowship Memphis, um, Again, this is the son of Crawford Loritz, very well-known African-American leader. And Brian Loritz, when he was at this church, there are allegations that, I mean, <laughs> we know that he was given evidence, a cell phone containing videos of that were taken of people secretly in a bathroom at the church. Right. That phone now is gone. His right. brother-in-law, who we know was later convicted of the crime of recording people without their knowledge. Um, we know that he was fired from the church, but he was allowed to go to another church where he repeated his crimes. Mm. I have people on the record, insiders at the church, victims who were on, whose video was on that phone, who say that Brian Loritz was part of the cover-up of that crime. Brian Loritz was just hired last year by J.D. Greer, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, to be an executive pastor at Summit. But Again, he's there. There's all these allegations of covering up sex crimes because I think there's been so much reporting about it. They finally are doing an investigation, but it's a very, very narrowly. um, The only thing they're looking at in this investigation is whether or not Brian Loritz, they can prove that he did something wrong with this phone and, and with, you know, actually pressuring women not to report, which I don't know if they're going to be able to, it's going to be a, he said, she said, probably there's other things involved that they're not going to look at. But again, these sorts of things happening in the church, not being held accountable. And and you've got this web, right. Of all these interconnected. I mean, this, the Southern Baptist convention, summit church, JD Greer, all these people, you would think that would leverage to bring accountability, but instead we see there seems to be protection. There seems to be covering. I'm, I'm glad I'm glad there's finally an investigation, although I don't really have that high of hopes for this investigation really being that independent or finding anything. But but yes, this is a major, major issue within the church where I think we need to start thinking about all of these interconnected relationships. And if we're not willing to call our friends out, you know, then we're not really being friends because that's the best thing for them is to repent. Did I not tell y'all choose a meanie? judgmental, <laughs> gossipy woman, woman. Uh, we're not, we haven't even started talking about your book uh, hmm. on feminism. Oh, wait, no, it's Redeeming the Feminine Soul, which I, honestly, we're going to have to put that on different broadcasts because that, that stands by itself and it's so important to cover. But we're talking about something that is systemic, mm-hmm. not isolated, mm-hmm. and uh, abuse within the church, lack of leadership, lying, so the simple stuff, right? I mean lying, what we call, you know, in the church today, acceptable sin. Christians to me are some of the most naive and a lot of time just non-discerning because 
again, I think it starts at the top oftentimes where set the bar, set a standard, uh, talk truth, be honest, hold people accountable, and it's spread. It's out of the church into the nonprofits. You know, I am hoping that you will consider one one day investigating one of the spaces we work in, which is the counter and anti-sex trafficking world, because I can tell you there are a lot of organizations doing bad things in the name of mm-hmm. counter-sex trafficking. Mm-hmm. And what it hurts, because people say, well, are you guys jealous? Or are we jealous? Are you kidding mm-hmm. me? We could use 10,000 well-run organizations fighting this issue, mm-hmm. but we worry about the people who suffer kids and women, Mm. and then Christians who will support certain organizations. Um, When you get burnt like Ravi, when organizations fall, then people who support and pray, they pull back because they're hurt. And then that stops the effective work of, you know, whatever we're running into. Yeah. And I, and I, I hate that. I do. I, I, I hope that people can see that you can still be a part of the church. I mean, the the majority, right of pastors out there are good, honest, usually Solid. underpaid, yeah, you know, hardworking, <laughs> hardworking men, godly men. And so, um, I hate when I hear that, you know, they've given up on all of the church because there's so much beauty in the church and I still believe in the church and I've seen the ugliest of the ugly, right? right. I, I love the church. I believe in her. I believe that the gates of hell won't prevail over her. And someday, we're all going to be the church together in front of the throne of Christ. And so um, we better believe in it because it's going to, it's going to outlive our lifetime on this planet. So I, um, so I hope people believe in that. I hope they believe in ministries, but I also hope they learn, you know, it's one of those burn me once, shame on you, burn me twice, shame on me. Right. Let's be smart donors. Let's investigate the places where we donate, you can get 990s. You can research what people are doing. You can find out how much people are making. See if you're okay with it. Just but do your homework. Don't just right. assume that because somebody seems like a great person that they necessarily are. Right. And speaking of 990s and accountability, ECFA. Uh, ECFA mm. used to be the gold standard. We've belonged to it for years. And then not so much. Can you touch on that? Yeah, I don't know that they've ever been the gold standard. I think they had that reputation. But if you okay. go back and you look at, you remember when we were kids, the PTL scandal, right? Yeah. Yeah. That was the first, I remember when that happened. I was never a big Jim Baker fan, but it was shocking to me when that uh, broke. And and he's spent time in jail for fraud now. Right. Um, but when that was happening, they became members of the ECFA. Right. And it wasn't the ECFA who brought accountability to PTL Ministries. It was when the secular press began publishing about the fraud that was going on that then ECFA uh, actually removed them as members. But we've seen the same thing. Gospel for Asia, when they re- removed, oh yeah, when they removed their uh, membership from ECFA, it was after the news reports. I remember when I was reporting on Harvest Bible Chapel, I reached out to ECFA. And I'm like, you know, these integrated auxiliaries that they have, the way that they're they're moving their money. And then we've got this deer farm that they're funding. And I hear there's 20% of the budget that's a black budget. Nobody knows what's happening with that. We don't know what's happening with executive salaries. We find out that James McDonald was making close to a million dollars. And then he had, 
you know, by the way, the close to a million dollars, ECFA is reviewing those salaries and saying that's okay. Oh, because wow. if you look at the, the compensation committees or groups that they go to, right. some of these groups, if you look at who's a member, it's people like Paula White, you know, it's Joel Osteen. You know, right. so they're comparing the salaries to what they're making. And they're like, well, yeah, it's kind of in the ballpark because they're a megachurch pastor. So when you hear that, oh, yeah, it's reviewed by a compensation committee and this is in line with what the industry standard is, know that the industry standard is ridiculous. I mean, if you think pastors should be making million dollar salaries, then OK, fine. But I wasn't brought up that way. I, I can't see a justification for it. And so, you know, I just challenge people to look at that. But yeah, ECFA came in because when I was investigating Harvest, did like a one day review of them and, and gave them the thumbs up. And it wasn't until I just kept reporting and I got more and more and more information about uh, how the money was being misused that they finally, I mean, it was really, I mean, <laughs> this is months later after so much has come out. Now they've done an independent audit of the church and found out even more things about how the money was misused. Anyway, ECFA has great standards. If you follow those standards, you'll probably avoid some of these pitfalls. The problem is they don't enforce their standards. They don't have a vehicle for enforcing it. And they're paid by the organizations that they, you know, give their seal to. So if you're a member of ECFA, uh, you know, you paid for that. So right. they have a, a conflict of interest that's inherent. And I'm not really sure how you solve that, to be honest. Okay. Like, who's going to pay for it if, if the member organizations don't pay? So you know, again, my, my impetus is I want to get as many people educated, um, so that we're educated donors and we know how to give our money wisely. And we don't, we don't just give it and then, you know, not care where it goes. Part of stewardship is not just stewarding your money so that you can be generous with it. That's important. And that's part of being a, a godly giver, a sacrificial giver. That's important. But another part of it is actually giving wisely stewarding that money, finding out about the organizations you give to. And I do say to people too, it's funny. I mean, we are such a shoestring organization. I, I was talking to one guy who's a multimillionaire once and I'm like, Hey, why don't you give to us? And, and he's like, he's like, Julie, you know what? People like to build buildings. That's what people right. get excited about. He right. said, you're like the housing inspector. Nobody <laughs> likes the housing inspector. And I'm like, you know what? You're absolutely right. But that's why so many of our houses are falling down because True. there is no housing inspector. And so I tell people, you know, just remember us, remember the, the watchdog groups out there and give us one or 2% of your tithe, you know, above your tithe. I'm not telling people to give less than their tithe, but give us one or 2% of that and think of it as tithe insurance because somebody needs to be holding these places accountable or this stuff's just going to continue. I love that tithe insurance and I'm going to use that. And that's actually one of the reasons why we support you, Thank uh, you. because it's, it's what's needed in the body of Christ. You know, a lot of buildings going up, a lot of programs going forward, but if you're building a huge boat and nobody's checking for the seams and water leaks and stability of it, we're just pouring money into broken cisterns. And I, I do pray that our listeners and followers will go to julieroys.com and definitely sign up for the Roy's report. I get that weekly. We do a daily intelligence brief here at ATP Ministries and the Victor Marks Group. And we have analysts. We've got, you know, incredible group. And we, we put this out plus a premium. And I'll tell you, people are really turning to that. I mean, in a short mm -hmm. amount of time, we're over 70,000 people just on that. 
Wow. And they want truth. So uh, I look forward to, again, I hope that you grow, Julie, to a place to where you have a, a plethora of analysts, reporters, journalists, and then also a team that can go to ministries that open the doors and say, yes, mm. audit our books, do an independent study. Uh, and they don't even have to pay them for it, right? Because it's weird if you're paying for somebody to audit you. <laughs> I mean, we, we've talked about there's a lot of things we would love to do if we had the resources to do it. But part of it is we're going to do another conference. We've done one conference called Restore Chicago because of COVID. We weren't able to do it. Um, we're going to do another another conference probably next spring. Um, and what we'd like to do is even have a pre-conference. It's a track for people to come and learn how to be a trustee member or board member. What is involved in good governance? You know, if you're in leadership, what should you be looking for? What is spiritual abuse? How do you know? People sometimes engage in spiritual abuse and they don't even realize they're doing it. So, I mean, these are things that are not teaching at seminary. They should be teaching at seminary. I wish they were, but we'd like to begin to offer those things in in education. So we're, we're working on that at making that a, a part of, of what we do, because we don't just want to be reporting the truth and reporting, you know, difficult, often, you know, unvarnished truth of things that we wish weren't going on. But we also want to be a part of restoring the church and and preventing and prevention is huge. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I see. So please go check out our website, sign up for a newsletter. You won't be disappointed. Pray for her support. I can't say it enough. That's why we do. Julie, thanks for being on the broadcast today. God bless you and look forward to seeing you soon. Well, thanks for having me. And God bless you and your ministry may continue to to grow it and prosper. So wherever you're on, whatever lane God has you in, follow him and get it done. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. We'd love to stay connected with you and invite you to the conversation beyond this podcast. You can check out more of the work we're doing around the world at victormarks.com, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all linked in the show notes. Be sure to drop us a comment in the review section if today's show has impacted you in any way or if there's anything you'd like to hear more of. We're always encouraged to hear from you. Thanks for spending your time with us. Until next time.